This is one of your hosts, Brett. And this is your other host, Matt. Uh, Matt and Brett Love Comics is a show where we take comics and talk comics with comics. Today is no different. Uh, We've got a great one-shot episode today. Yeah, one issue, in and out. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of the old in and out. Whoa, whoa. What is that from? You're getting randy over there. What is that from? I'm definitely getting randy, because it was an English accent. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Randy Giles. A little bit of the old in and out. Oh, wait, that that wasn't Clockwork Orange, was it? Yes, it was Clockwork Orange. It was Clockwork Orange, yeah. I don't know, I've always said that would be half of it. Yeah, um, (laughs) the person who you just heard, uh, joining us today, very funny lady, uh, comedian Lauren Hunter Hello. is in the house with us. How are you? It's me. It's you. In the heezy. In uh, the heezy. Lauren, you've popped up on uh, on our uh, movie review episodes. <laughs> yes. Because uh, you're always up for a good movie. I am. A good comic book hero, superhero movie. Yeah. And uh, and and now we're lucky enough to have you on a, a sit down episode where we hang out and read a book. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We almost uh, did an episode of Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark, but it didn't happen. But oh man, that would have been an hour and a half long. Oh, discussion. so long, so long. Yeah. it happened anyway. It just it wasn't recorded. <laughs> it was on the subway because yeah. Lauren got me uh, tickets. We went to go see Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark a couple months ago, which I don't know if we've ever talked about on this podcast. No, we haven't. I still haven't seen it. <sighs> Oh, you man. gotta see it. If you oh, get I want free to. Tickets, oh, I'm dying go to. Go see I, it. You know. <laughs> I can probably get you in, but that would require me having to see it again. Again, yeah. Oh, really? I mean, it oh, sounds yeah. like I don't want that and to happen to you. It's just... It's... It's... <laughs> it's it happens. Yeah, it happens. It happens all over your face. It happens a couple <laughs> times a week, apparently. Yeah. yeah. It delights kids. Um, we are, uh, we're not, we're not talking Spider-Man today, though. Nope. Thankfully. Uh, we are. even. No, we are, we are delving yeah. into some DC history, going back to 1985, Superman yeah. Annual 11, uh, aka For the Man Who Has Everything. Written. For the Man Who Has Everything. What do you get? Apparently. For the Man Who Has Everything. You apparently get a su- rose. Yeah. Or, plants. or Superman Annual plants. 11. Yeah. That's yeah. true. A plant made of this book. Yeah. That works, too. Uh, This issue, uh, written by Alan Moore, drawn by Dave Gibbons. This is right around the time that they would have been concocting Watchmen. Yeah, because Watchmen was 1986. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and, and speaking of theater, before we get into the book, um, Lauren, you have a... you, You are... You are very much connected to the theater scene. That is true. In New York. Yes. Um, so what, uh, what for you makes a good show? What what excites you? What excites you about live theater, uh, and uh, use that use that answer and find a way to tie it into comic books. And you have thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> uh, and you'll get this Kawasaki keyboard. Um, no, the, the, the it, was a, it was a mountain climber, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a mountain climber. Um, Let's just name a whole bunch of prices right games while you think of an answer. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I love theater because there's, as opposed to any other art form, it happens live in front of you. Yeah. Whereas everything else, you're just an observer, and there's always a wall separating you. Movies, film, 
uh, movies and film are the same thing, uh, television, even just paintings or comic books, you're separated because it's it's not live, it's not... Yeah. You can't interact with the it The act of physically. creating the art has already happened. You're seeing right. the after effect of the art being created right. in a way. And it's, it's sort of, so it's sort of a dead art in yeah. a way. Whereas theater is a live art and it happens in front of you. It's different every night. Even though it's scripted, it's sli- it can be slightly different every night. And, um, and so, uh, and um, really amazing stagecraft will... Uh, get me every time. Like, like Spider-Man Turn like Off the Dark. Like Spider-Man Turn, Turn Off the, the dark. dark. Which is the only thing I could say about it is the sets in that and the production of it were what? amazing. Amazing. Where does that rank? You've seen a lot of That's shows. the best, <laughs> the best set I have ever seen in my entire life. is that crazy? Wow. Because they dumped so much goddamn money into yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that musical cost something like $70 million to make. And most Broadway musicals usually cost like fifteen. Oh, yeah, whoa. and that's the thing too is like you sink that much money in the pro- the the sort of inherent problem in having a live a live stage show is you can only show it in one place. You yeah. sink seventy million into a film, you can send it out across the country. Yeah. But the difference is that if a show runs, if it becomes a hit and it runs, that show could run for twenty years. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why that's why Andrew Lloyd Webber is a millionaire because the Phantom of the Opera has been running for something like twenty years. How much does yeah. like a production of that cost to mount on Broadway? Like ten million or to less? To start? Yeah. Like... Or to keep running? Well, I guess either. Yeah. What well, you know? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? That's actually something that always fascinates me. What are the sort of incurred costs, and and how, like, how uh, do you how do you take a show how do you take a show from conception to actualization when it comes to like high stakes theater like that? Well, it varies per show. I mean, the thing, the sad fact about Broadway is that very few shows recoup their initial investment because uh. it costs so much to first get the show up and then to keep it running. Yeah. So a show might pull in if it's a really successful show. Like there are a lot of shows like The Lion King bring in like over a million dollars a week. Oh wow. But it costs, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars to just put it up that week. Oh wow. So they're only yeah. bringing in three hundred thousand dollars. So that's why it takes years for shows to recoup their investment wow. because yes, maybe they're making a million dollars a week, but so much of that goes to the art the the teamsters and the actors and yeah. the and and every week you know the the writers and the directors are getting checks and and you're paying to rent the is theater is that a sweet gig like writing like the book for a musical cuz like you write it and then it's done and then you get a check every week for years you get a check every week you, for years and years and you just did your work already yeah. oh, and if man. you invest in a broadway show and it's successful you get residuals forever <laughs> like let's say i put in a million dollars into Phantom of the Opera yeah. in 19 whenever, you know. And uh, I sp- so I put in a 15th of the money that it needed. I'm getting every week, a f- you know, whatever, 15% of Jeez. the take. So for 20 years, you're so, set for life. So what do you do for a living? Oh, I invested in Phantom of the Opera 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. really? Really, though? Wow. You know, but it's, but it's, 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 it's a gamble because yeah. so many shows close. Even really successful shows like Tony winning shows like uh, Avenue Q, you yeah. know, it was a big show that was really popular and a lot of people know. It closed after four years. I mean, it re- yeah. recouped its investment, but it's not Phantom. There aren't super musicals anymore. So in our last episode, we were actually talking um, with uh, with Megan and Rebecca about uh, sort of 
different types of fandoms, mm-hmm. um, like online and and comic book fans, Game of Thrones fans, things like that. There are definitely like, you, you know, you've known Brett and I for a long time, and you've known a lot of our friends, and we're we're comic book geeks, right? Like we're big comic book fans. How do, um, how do like theater nerds compare to uh, compare to comic book nerds? In terms of, like, the fanaticism <laughs> and how they sort of approach what they love. Well, I think it's it's very similar in that theater nerds are just as obsessive about musicals as comic book nerds are about comics. In that, like, if you really love a musical, you get every single oh, wow. cast recording for it. The, the, Ameri- the Broadway cast recording, the English cast recording, the Dutch cast recording. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. And, like, you know, you you see the show six times and you get all your playbills. You collect all your playbills. I now understand why those people go see Rock of Ages all the time. Mm. Yeah. It's their X-Men. It's yeah. their X-Men, yeah. <laughs> But, like, I have a collection of all the playbills I ever got from since I was eight years old. Yeah. Like, that's, I have a bookcase full of Playbill. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, and things like that. And, like, they talk about different productions, like, how was this cat on the Haunted Roof compared to that cat on the Roof? There are message boards, there are websites. Um, the, we don't really have a con, unless you count the Tonys. But, um... Well, your con gets televised! <laughs> yeah, Tony Con. Yeah. I'm gonna start calling that. Jackman Tony Jackman goes con. to both. Goes that's to true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Neil Patrick that's Harris true. as well. Yeah. And he's now, he, they just announced he's the hosting the Tonys again this year. I'm super excited. He or Neil? Neil. Okay, Neil. Cool. Oh, he was great yeah. last year, too. He was fantastic. Right? I watched the Tonys. I think, it's, were... I think it's his fourth year doing it. He's amazing. He's a, he's a good, he's an entertainer is what he is. Mm-hmm. Like, he is, he knows how to entertain yeah. in any capacity. He's uh, a charmer. I do yeah. want to know about um your comic book history. Because I think you're you're taking the, uh, the... Moke, mook, mook, massive yeah, online uh, yeah. the, about gender and comic books. Mm-hmm. You also were reading like Daredevil. We talked about that. Like, yeah. how uh, is all this like a recent development, or does does a comic book love go back further? Or? Well, I have always loved Superman and Wonder Woman, which I think is a good transition into yeah. the book. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, ever since I was a little kid. And now I'm not talking about the comics. I'm talking about the yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. This is another thing we talked um, about last week too. Is like right. you can love these things and don't have to read the comics. Right. That's yeah, yeah. Valid. Like I, as a little girl, I had Superman underoos with, and I didn't understand why there was a slit in the front of them. You know, ah! I, I, I had Superman foot, footy pajamas. That was all these your kryptonite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there, I, you know, I would run around my my house in Superman footy pajamas. My third birthday was Wonder Woman themed and you know like I was I so since I was a little kid I've always loved superheroes particularly DC superheroes Uh I didn't but I didn't learn the difference until very recently I'm embarrassed to admit (laughs) but I always loved X-Men as as a teenager or preteen I guess I discovered the X-Men cartoon series and fell in love with that Um, but I've always always loved um, superheroes and the and the the mythos of superheroes. Boy, is there one? Yeah, <laughs> and um, well, don't you have a 
don't you also have like a fondness for uh, like Greek mythology? Love it. Yeah. Which is why I'm st- I'm digging, digging, digging the new uh, Wonder Woman, the new 52 oh, yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman. Yeah. It's all uh, Greek. It's all Greek All mythology. Greek all the time. All Greek. <laughs> uh, but but when I was in, when I was like 14, a guy I had a crush on turned me on to Sandman. Oh, yeah. Which I think most women my age can claim. Uh, <laughs> I want to meet these women. And so I have all the Sandman comics and have autographs from Neil Gaiman and like all his books and oh, that's awesome uh so basically uh Superman annual number 11 from 1985 now is this this is pre-crisis right this is pre-crisis because <laughs> Which is um, already getting into the weird jargon of DC comics yeah do you do you understand like the crisis I've heard cutoff? of you see the funny thing about me is that I've read a lot about comics. Oh yeah, uh, but I haven't read the, those particular comics. So like, I've heard things like Crisis and like s- vaguely familiar with yeah. them. Yeah. But... So well, what what basically happened was DC on their the year after this wasn't like eighty six. It was it was later in eighty five. Oh okay. Yeah, but the thing was like everything what everything the continuity was still ongoing through the end of Crisis. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. Um, basically what Crisis on Infinite Earths was, was, uh, sort of a clearinghouse exercise for DC to, um, bring new readers in and create, uh, an all new, like, basically It was the new 52 modernized. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was except modernizing. It was a, except it was a new, a new 52 that actually was a strict, like, Well, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, but they didn't do a great job of it because they, like... They just very... What they did right with the New 52 was everything started in the same month. Like, there was a cleaving, and then everything had a new number one, right? Mm. Uh, After Crisis, it was... What happened in Crisis is sort of irrelevant. Like, people died, things... uh, Worlds lived, worlds died, and the DC Universe was never the same. That is the catchphrase. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways... Um, Copywriter. Yeah, uh, but I like what, how Matt adjusted his glasses when he said that. Yeah, <laughs> I just want the podcast audience to realize that happened. <laughs> but um, the problem was, like the the big kickoff was John Byrne's Man of Steel, which was this all new retelling of Superman's origin, which with, is like, great. I've um, read updated. It. Yeah, it's great. But then, like, you had Wonder Woman not restarting until, like, 1988. Yeah. So no one could really use her, and everyone's like, where is she at? Hawk, Hawkman, I don't think, got relaunched until, like, 89. Green Arrow did. There was this sort of weird rollover where characters would reappear but were, like, in post-crisis continuity but weren't relaunched yet. And <laughs> it was, there, there was just... Yeah. There was just a big sort of continuity headache for uh, for uh, nerds like myself to be like, well, wait, wait, now which one is which? Um, so, but basically, a long story long, this takes place before that, okay. even though these just characters before. do exist uh, post-crisis as well. These aren't the same versions as the post-crisis, because these are all pre-crisis. A little, uh, they, they are sort of, like, yes and no. Uh, Jason Todd, so Jason Todd is Robin in this story, Mm -hmm. and he's more of a dick, um, after Crisis. Dick Crisis, not just a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he is a, he is a jerk 
much more so oh, wait. after. Oh, 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 so he's more like Dick Grayson before Crisis, but then more, much more of a dick after Crisis. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Just so he's he's still he's a <laughs> yeah. dick at all times. He's yeah, yeah. Different types. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There's two types of dick. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, I think what's interesting. Did you watch the? Uh, he served both dicks. PBS had the um, uh, Wonder Woman documentary. No. It's it, well. Did you? There was a Kickstarter campaign like a year and a half ago, a year or two years ago, about like called Wonder Women, and it was the a woman who wanted to like make a documentary about Wonder Woman and like female characters in like popular culture, like Buffy and Ellen Ripley and all them. Uh, and it aired on PBS. Um, I might still have it on here actually. Mm. Um, my Aereo, it's great. Um, but it, it really dives into Wonder Woman's history, so it's interesting to see this interpretation of Wonder Woman. Uh, because this is essentially the same Wonder Woman that was super into bondage in the 40s mm-hmm. and then lost her powers in the 60s and <clears throat> and went through a lot of and just the like... secret agent go-go phase. Yeah, like, went through a lot of problematic phases as male writers tried to figure out what to do with a female superhero uh. at the same time as she was being co-opted by the women's lib movement. So it's an interesting... It's, it's interesting to see... To see this Wonder Woman, I guess, in that light. Because this is technically, continuity-wise, the same Wonder Woman that, you know, went from being a very assertive superhero in the 40s to just being, like, Steve Trevor's girlfriend in the right. 50s. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It's really, it's cool. I don't know. Uh, I guess we should maybe talk about the plot of the issue. Just skim sure. over that. It's pretty sure. Weird. So <clears throat> the, 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 plot of, the basic plot of this story is that it's Superman's birthday. and Which is February 29th. Yeah. Well, because the first page it says like February 29th. Yeah. Oh, I completely yeah. missed that. I think it does. Wait, so, so he was born on a leap year? Guys, so he's like what? Oh, wait, wait. Four? <laughs> wait, though. Wait. I'm going to I'm going to pick this part point apart. <laughs> he was born on February 29th. Earth years? It's pro- I would say it's like, probably when is, they found is him. Crypto- yeah. Oh, that's when I they would say, found him? I would say, I would assume. I think, I, I would imagine Al Moore just throws that in there as a whimsical yeah. <laughs> thing. I, I'd imagine, too, because most of the origin stories that I've ever seen of Superman, it was, uh, it was not that uh, snowy of a night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, a good point. Yeah, but uh, I, I do sort of like that idea. I think... I think that that was just like a fun little thing commenting on the fact that, uh, you know, superhero, the, the timeline in comic books moves much more slowly than, oh, wow. so like, that you is... know, every 10 years in real time is like two years in right. yeah. comic book so time. So he's only 26 <laughs> years old by that logic. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, Superman, uh, I'm sorry, rather Wonder Woman. Batman and Robin all sort of meet each other right outside of the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, and they have their gifts that they're going to bring inside. Um, the page before we see them, though, is, a, uh, is an odd prologue uh, that seems to take place on Krypton, where Kal-El is dressed like, mm, I want to say a disco welder. <laughs> um, it's a pretty rad outfit. The uh, the fluorescent glasses that he wears, yeah, um, they're like Bono glasses, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then just like the strange polo shirt and galoshes. Well, I, I have to comment on his outfit because this is something I was thinking about. Do you think that he was drawn to look like a tool, or was it just that <laughs> this is the '80s and like? 
I don't know. No, I think that that's a fair point. And I, I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Because the sort of, the idea of where he is in that part of the story uh, and where we find out that he is, is that he has a very middle class sort of sedentary life. On Krypton. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. In this, uh, because... The, they go into the Fortress of Solitude and discover Superman with a, basically like a life-sucking plant thing around him that has put him into a stasis of, like, his own wish fulfillment. Like he's, he's, a cat, he's in a catatonic state. Yeah, yeah, and he's basically living out what his heart wants, mm -hmm. which is apparently middle class on Krypton, well, just yeah, chilling. Yeah, to have a normal life yeah. with a wife and children and his parents alive. On Krypton. But do yeah. you think it was just actually just the glasses that he wanted? Like, if they would have gotten him those glasses for his birthday, he would have been just as content. If and maybe, it's just like the rest of the the that, rest of the the story that he builds around himself yeah. just is around the uh, like ye day glow yellow glasses. Or those really like, or that popped collar that he that fantastic popped collar. Yeah, that he has, yeah. What or, if they just like got him a po a collar for inside of his cape? And see, now that's what I would get for Superman. That's what you get for the man who has everything. <laughs> a pair of uh, yellow sunglasses mm -hmm. and a collar to put underneath your mm -hmm. cape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I also noticed that, not to stay too long on his outfit, but it was kind of fantastic, <laughs> that, so he's wearing this, like, weird, like, Prince Valiant outfit that meets the 80s, but I noticed that it has the same sun symbol on the left breast pocket, or the left breast that mm -hmm. Jorel has on his. Yes. So I wonder if that's like a family. Oh, yeah. I think that's a house sigil. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. son is is the L's house sigil. Yeah. I, I didn't realize until this comic that L is his last name. Yeah. yeah. I just Jor -El, thought Jorel, Kal -El, Kal -El, Yeah. I was like, oh, I just thought his name was Kal-El. It just kind of didn't occur to me that that's his last name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Because a lot of times, too, it's also written with a hyphen yes. in between. Yes. So, uh -huh. and That also makes sense because later on in this uh, side universe, we find out that uh, Kal-El's cousin has been beaten because the entire house of El uh, is basically being um, persecuted because of like just like political reasons. So that, that would make sense why they would know who she was because she was wearing the house of El sigil, sigil I would yeah. say. Right. Uh, there's a lot of interesting... Um, the, the the dream reality is an interesting thing because is Alan Moore saying with this is like there is no dream because his dream goes to shit mm -hmm. like is that either a Alan Moore saying even your dream existence is still going to have problems because that's just the nature of you know the mind and humanity and whatnot or is he saying b that it wasn't working on Superman because he's Superman he was fighting it slowly I want to say it was the latter. Mm -hmm. No, okay. I want to say that he knows something is wrong because he's Superman yeah. and it, no prison can hold him, even if it's the perfect prison. <clears throat> because the Krypton of the sideways reality, to use lost terms, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, is a very politically uh, uneasy place and also kind of similar to a current America in some ways. Uh huh. Because you have these, you know, radical. Uh, people like a tea party essentially. Yeah, I mean you have <clears throat> religious people literally like burning crosses and marching. Yeah, I they're mean, called they're called the cow cow cow. 
Yeah. Jor-El's basically the leader of the Tea Party. Yeah. He's like this, yeah. like, I, like, Kiva says, like, we have these immigrants, like, we have these problems, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then Kal-El's like, no, that's what's good. Like, we're trying to get, we're trying to progress our society. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really, it's really just interesting that, like, 1985, 2013, shit still. Yeah. <laughs> shit's still the same, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in in the real world though, as Batman, Robin, uh, Jason Todd, Robin, and Wonder Woman are trying to figure out what this plant is and what has caused it, um, a large yellow man looms behind them ominously, uh, and the villain of the piece is revealed, and it is Mongol of War World. I this... need more. I need yeah. background on Mongol. What is his deal? Is this his first appearance? Uh. You know that's a good question. I don't think that I don't think it is. Superman acts like he knows is. him. Yeah, I think that he's only been a Superman villain up to this point. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, Mongol is a, a warmonger that controls a planet called War World, and basically what War World he he imprisons people on War World and forces them to fight to the death on various locales across the planet. Everything on the planet. It's basically it's basically uh, like a Death Star. Like it's a yeah. it's a floating weapon. Yeah. Speaking of Death Star, so that final shot. Uh, maybe I'm skipping too far ahead. No, but, go for it. Uh, there's that final shot. Is uh, I'm calling yeah, it so like shot, but page. panel um, of like a planet. It looks exactly like the Death Star. Yeah. Yeah. That's War World. That's War yeah. World. That is okay. War World. Oh, so this is like him creating War World? Is War World a post-crisis thing? Um, <laughs> I think you're the only one here that knows. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, 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 gotta, I, gotta, I gotta cop to not knowing that much. And readers, if you have, uh, readers, uh, readers and listeners, if you have more uh, background info on yeah. Mongol, please uh, please hit us up on the Facebook and, uh, and let us know what we're missing out on. But... Sorry uh, that we're not talking about your favorite character with enough uh, reverence and knowledge. Also, that's... Mongol, Mongol fans, Mongol heads. Well, no, I, I think that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. What just would his too. fans be called? Mongolites. Mon- yeah. oh, Mongoloids. Mongoloids. Yeah, yep. but uh, I. Well, I'm not entirely certain. I do believe that War World did exist beforehand, but I can't. Yeah. Uh, I, I think. I think, though. By the way, Mongol as a villain is a great concept. I like. I like the idea of this villain. I like the uh, I like the execution of him too. What what about him do you like? Um, I like the I like that he's arrogant but can back it up. Like he's a he's a confident villain, and is clearly a successful villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. He's he's uh. If he weren't a if he weren't a douche, he's sort of a, a self self actualized man. Or alien, as yeah. it were. Um, and he's, uh, you know, when we first see him and he intimidates, uh, he, he sort of gets in Batman's face. And there's this great panel um, where he gets down on his haunches to look Batman in the eye because he's far taller than him. And Batman asks, what are you? And he says, if you don't already know my name, then you're not worthy of an introduction uh, which is such a like bastardly thing yeah. to yeah. say, and especially to Batman. Yeah, yeah. Well, then he continues to say uh, he's talking about uh, 
how he's the new manager and he needs to settle in. But he says, I know, for example, that your society makes distinctions on a basis of gender and age. Perhaps then you could advise me which of you should I would be polite to kill first. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, is he sexist, too? Is <laughs> yeah. He could be, yeah. Well, yeah, he totally is. Because yeah. he, um, uh, I mean, if we want to get to the Wonder Woman bits, he, he, say, he does say something about, like, why are you like why are you behaving this way woman or something mm-hmm. uh and i i mean i for one love the way that like the next page like is just silent wonder woman just walking up like looking at batman like who the fuck is this asshole like, I got this. walking up to him and they're just swearing back and punching him full on in the face great sound effect too thrutch yeah <laughs> love it i mean and it doesn't like it doesn't hurt him But I still love that characterization of Wonder Woman. Yeah. That she is the very first person to go at him. To take action, yeah. And then she basically... And the only person until Superman comes back. Um, Because a couple pages later, like, while Batman and Robin are trying to figure out what's up with the plant thing, Wonder Woman is going toe-to-toe with him and just, you know, trying to keep him busy or defeat him, which involves this really awesome shot... Of, uh, where he says, um, where he, she, like, grabs a weapon, and he's all like, I'd advise you to try the pla- the plasm disruptor. It's smaller, more of a female's weapon. Yeah. And then she's holding this giant can, and she just says, go to hell. Yeah. I think it was pretty great. Yeah, uh, did yeah. you, as a, as a current Wonder Woman reader, how did you think this Wonder Woman, uh, stacks up? Well, I, <clears throat> I don't know, like... I I love the fact that she was that like you said she she was just like you know I'm gonna kick this guy's ass and just goes up and punches him square in the jaw, and then fights him, but uh, and really they have a brutal knockdown drag out fight. He's throwing her through walls, yeah. but like I guess I don't know maybe because I'm a woman and she's the only woman of of interest in this story. But it just kind of bugged me how, like, how quickly he beats the crap out of her. Like, he's pushing her head into walls, and she's almost instantly covered in bruises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, like, just not in good shape. And then, I don't know. Maybe this is a question. I don't know if you guys can answer it. But, like, when, when Superman comes to... He and Mongol have a fight, and, and yes, it's not, it's a tough fight. He throws Superman around a bunch, but Superman pretty readily kicks his ass. And aren't, how, I mean, strength-wise, how are, like, Superman and Wonder Woman comparatively? I I had sort of been under the impression, maybe it's a faulty one, that uh, they were of equal strength. Mm. Well, I think that it, they certainly are, but I think that what they're taking into account here as well is Superman's rage mm. at being manipulated. Yeah. You know, so he's not he's not just fighting with strength, he's also fighting from an emotional standpoint. Well, I which have is, no idea how strong Wonder Woman is compared to him. Because I always just assumed that she was like... Because like Superman is ridiculously strong. Yes. Like, could probably break Hulk in half strong. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I always pictured Rogue as B. Arenum as like as Wonder Woman being like Rogue level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's strong, but she's not. Super I don't know. Strong. That's that's that was always my impression. But I've also not read that many Wonder Woman comics. So I mean, I guess having said that, I'm looking back at 
this now and Mongol does knock Superman on his ass and it's it isn't until the intervention of Robin that he gets yeah. stopped. Well yeah. I'll tell you what too, what I really like about this story, especially with the action, is you know, Dave uh, Dave Gibbons' style is very realistic and 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 naturalistic, much less stylized than a lot of um you know, action comics artists, and I don't yeah. mean that as a Superman pun. Um, yeah. So that when we see something like Wonder Woman's head getting shoved into a wall with those bruises, it looks and feels painful. Yeah, it made me cringe. Oh, yeah. yeah, like it—it it looks like it hurts, mm-hmm. um, and that's just—that's just a credit to his his just clean design yeah. and and <coughs> artistic sense. There's um something that like I, as my, I love those I think those are two of the best Wonder Woman moments I've ever read of my very brief uh, reading of Wonder Woman stuff like I love those two moments for punching him and then her holding the gun saying go to hell those are great moments yeah but I like thinking about it from a writing standpoint uh, and maybe even trying to apply improv rules to it like how like if you make a move like she's making moves there like she is doing a thing she's uh-huh. making a choice but it falls flat or like nothing comes of it so therefore does that negate the importance or coolness of the move yeah. if it isn't like the fact that her punching him or grabbing the gun doesn't do anything like i guess it buys him time but that's, it doesn't hurt yeah. him at all that's how like, i felt about it it's like oh she's having zero effect on this yeah. guy superman at least hurts him so like as a writer i'm wondering i mean i think it's it's still like led to a satisfying like i love this issue i just wonder if Wonder Woman had, like, dented him, or, like, even just, like, broke his arm, but mm-hmm. she, he still, like, mopped the floor with her, but he, but she at least made a physical, noticeable impact, if that would have helped. I don't, I don't <clears throat> think it negates no, yeah. what's happening there, and in fact, I think that it shows that she is unafraid of, uh, of ridiculous odds stacked against her. That she's always going to find... She's she's never going to stop trying yeah. to shut down what she perceives as wrong. I think that shows more of her her fortitude than, uh, than it being something that sort of falls flat. Yeah. That's true. And, and that's what I love... You know, that's what I love about uh, Wonder Woman, too, is that through any incarnation of her, she's never... She's always one of the first people to jump in. She's always been completely unafraid. <coughs> Whoa. You all right? Yeah, I'm just coughing. <laughs> um, that's what I love about Wonder Woman is that she's always been completely unafraid to be the first person to jump in. And she's always, she's always had a very strong sense of self and a very strong sense of, or a very strong belief in her own ability to uh, turn the odds in her or her friend's favor. Yeah. Well, I mean, she she was trained. She's she's an Amazon. She was trained to be a warrior since she was young. So I think it's. I mean, the the impression that I get from what I've read is that she, you know, that's just kind of in her blood is is to be a fighter. Absolutely. And, um, which is so refreshing. Yeah, and as we uh, as we progress through, and as Wonder Woman's uh, trying to. Basically, what the strategy here is is that um, Wonder Woman is going to distract Mongol until the greatest detective in the world and his teenage friend 
figure out a way to snap Superman out of this catatonic state that he's in. Um, they noticed that Mongol had put down some gauntlets that he had been handling the flower oh, yeah. with previously. Uh, and though Batman doesn't use them, Robin sort of realizes, his teenage friend sort of realizes that uh, that, that those are probably going to be integral to, uh, to kind of stopping this problem. Um, Batman does wind up getting the flower off of Superman's chest, but it attaches to him. And then we get to see a glimpse of Batman's most contented moment. Right. So where Superman's sort of heart's desire is to have a family and a son and have his father alive and be back on Krypton, Batman's desire is for his parents to have never died. Surprise, surprise. Um, and uh, I think that's about as much as we see. Is that yeah, his it's like parents... only one panel, like one or two panels. Yeah. yeah. But you know what that says, too? That, like, Batman is the most self-hating character in the DC Universe because mm-hmm. his greatest desire is to not be who he is. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, I my greatest desire that. is to never <laughs> be Batman. Yeah. Well, this... I, I loved this line... The dark cloud of terror that had flapped squeaking through his mind breaks up, dispersing forever. Yeah. Like, that the that the reason that Bat... The main motivator of Batman is fear. Like, I mean, that's something that's been talked about in, in, in other things, but, like, I just feel like not as beautifully and succinctly yeah. as it yeah. is put here. Well, you know, too, what they always... Everyone always focuses on how he projects fear, but... So many times when people are projecting an emotion that way, it's because they're also internalizing it. Mm-hmm. So they try to find a way to yeah. push it outward. And that makes a lot of sense as a character motivation. Yeah. Like the, the, the fear that he felt in the moment of his parents being killed, he's just carried that with him his entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And then immediately <clears throat> after we get that great reveal, we, we have this, well, or that, that great panel. Two panels later, we get this amazing... Um, heroic entry for Superman into the into the story, which I just love this panel so yeah. much. It's a it's a low shot looking up over Batman laying on the ground, Robin kneeling in front of him, and then Superman in half shadow standing over both of them backlit. Uh the very first words that he utters in reality in this story is Who did this to me? It's pretty yeah. great. It's pretty great. And then on the next page, you get that amazing Superman screaming Mongol's name in front of the pop art. Mongol! Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, so great. Great job of apologizing for almost blowing out Robin's eardrums. Yeah, I, I love oh, that. I love it. Oh, yeah. He yells so loud that Robin is thrown. <laughs> the, the sonic boom that comes yeah. out of his mouth knocks Robin over when he's covering his ears. And the pain. cape is pushing the other way, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's how loud he's screaming. Shoo-wee. He screams out, Mongol! And so of, so he clearly knows Mongol. We have a history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but They were roommates in college. Yeah. Yeah. And he stole his juice all the time. All yeah. the time. He was always just always like... Always crossing the line. Mm-hmm. He was a habitual line stepper. He <laughs> always drank all of Superman's Hit, Capri Suns. Hitting on Lana Lang. Always like, hitting no, on her. But nobody's business. It's like Superman's a, Superman's in chemistry class. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we got chemistry right here, oh, baby. Okay. <laughs> you so cray. You cray cray, super mongol. 
Um, so, so he comes after Mongol and like, I don't know. I, so you guys are going to have to speak to this because I honestly don't know. This is the angriest and the darkest I have ever seen Superman ever. Yeah. Like, like compared to like evil Superman and Superman three, like this is pretty dark. Like it's focused. It's very focused, and and I think that's what makes it seem dangerous and and almost mm-hmm. edgy in a way, right? Yes. Well, I mean, like he says things like, you know, get up, you vermin. Okay, that's par for the course, Superman. He, worst thing he's going to call somebody is vermin. But like, <laughs> do you understand what you did to me? And, yeah. And then he uses his heat vision on him and says, burn. Oh, such a great panel. Which is just made my blood run cold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, another great sound effect as he's burning Mongol across the chest with his heat vision, which is... Shiz it. Shiz it. (laughs) Shiz it. But that's... That's what's so great about this, too, is that so many people try to physically affect Superman or try to affect those around him. Mongol broke his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Mongol breaks his heart. That's a really good way of putting it. One of the, like, uh, because, like, all Superman has, like, Superman doesn't know Krypton. He doesn't know his family. He only has, I guess the memory crystals or something mm-hmm. that are in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what you Superman fans uh, have. What are you getting so defensive for? Uh, I don't know. Don't judge Superman's me. Superman's great, all right? I, don't yeah. judge me. All right, Marvel boy. Um, <laughs> I know Var. Um, so, so, like, to have, to, like, get this taste of, like, your dream, like, I feel like his dream is even more potent. Um, okay, like... At least in Batman's dream, he's still on Earth. He still knew his parents. He still like is in a society that he knows. Whereas like Superman gets this taste of this thing that he that is dead that he's never known. He can never and he have. Never will. And he yeah. Will never have it. And he gets a taste of it. And then on top of getting a taste of it, it's it's not even like super happy. Like he still goes through heartache in his dream. Like yeah. it's fucked uh-huh. up. Well, it's I mean, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's a comment on how Superman has such an extraordinary life and all he wants is an ordinary, boring, kind of not great, like just, just average yeah. life. And he wants to like have arguments with his dad and yeah. like have some like, you know, like I think his dad's kind of a dick. His dad, <laughs> Jor-El is kind of a dick in this, like yeah. keeps talking, well, I got kicked off the science council. Yeah, that's What's really that funny. For? But they're like, well, I said the world was ending and it didn't end. Like, I love yes, that. <laughs> I love that that still happened. That Jor-El yeah. still predicted the world was going to end. It didn't end. And so that drove <laughs> Jor-El off the deep end. Yeah. Um, and he's like known as like, hey, what is the world ending again, Jor-El? Like, yeah, like can you imagine yeah. like Superman growing up and like going to school? Like, what is your dad? What is he going to say about? It? Is he? Oh, we're learning about world history. Your dad's probably going to say there shouldn't be any. Like, they're just. Can like, you hang out this weekend, or is the world ending? Exactly. You know the relationship I would love if it existed between Kal-el and Jor-el is uh, uh, Frank and George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was just yeah. like that's yes. the L family. Yeah. 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 Just like, the, uh, nobody listens to me. Exactly. Nobody, nobody listens to you because you don't make any sense, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Good. Stop yelling at your father. <laughs> yeah, don't tell the boy what to do. <laughs> uh, then they celebrate Festivus. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just. 
it was kind of sad. And, like, it, it kind of reminded me of the episode of Buffy when uh, she gets injected with the thing oh, yeah, and that. wakes up in the insane asylum yeah. and, oh, and man. realizes that she kind of has to choose between the two worlds. And I still don't know which side of the coin I fall on with that episode. Yeah. I don't like that episode. It, but it is really depressing. Episode. Yeah. But it, I kept thinking of it reading this because it's like, well, it's sort of similar. Like, And I have to feel like that, that episode was inspired by this comic in a way because it was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um... A, mon- a mundane life where your family is alive and y- you have issues, but probably stuff you can work through. And compared to being a superhero, yeah, and, like, and in the end, he chooses to be a superhero. Yeah, that's how he gets out of it. He makes the choice that it's not real. Yeah, like he takes um his son out to the uh cr- the Candor Crater. Yeah, um, and basically like through crying like crying to his son is just like i love you i've always loved you i'm always going to love you but i know you're not real like he's yeah it's really touching and there's no tip off there's no moment where you think oh he's that's that's the moment he's fig- he's figuring it yeah. out like yeah. oh, it's just like all of a sudden he's just like i know you're not real <laughs> i think it's, i think and it he is fades away yeah i think it comes into what Matt was saying about, the, like, this shit won't work on Superman. Like, it yeah. worked just long enough. Because, yeah. like, if you look at when, um, like, surprise, surprise, Robin, who has the plant, the plant thing, drops it on, like, it's the drop on Mongol, and Mongol mm-hmm. gets infected with it. And you see his uh, fantasy, his fantasy, as far as we know, like, he doesn't waver. Like, he's not Superman. He, I feel like he is not strong enough to overcome the uh, mind control of this plant. So he gets to this fantasy where he just like kills the world and is like the king of everything, and he like the la- the very last panel is him just being like, "Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs up, <laughs> glasses down, thumbs yeah. up, Mongol, glasses down, thumbs up. That's the way we like to kill." Yeah. Um. Uh, so I think like, yeah, I think that Superman got out of it because Superman was always going to get out of it. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you what too. Uh, you mentioned you just mentioned it briefly there, but uh, what I really liked is Alan Moore gives everyone a hero's like all of the heroes get a hero's moment. Yeah, can we talk in about the story? how the little kid in the short pants who was who like at the beginning of the issue was just like, I don't know, I I kind of just know Superman. I've met him once or twice. Like, yep, and he's the one that gets the drop. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like uh, I like it a lot, and the structure. While he's trying to figure out how to get the plant off of Batman, uh, the panel structures are great. Again, Dave Givens, amazing draftsman. Uh, there's an issue of Watchmen that um, mirrors itself read. across the entire book. So, like, the last panel mirrors the first panel. And if you work backwards through the entire thing, all of the panels mirror each other until you hit, like, the middle of the book. Oh jeez. Um but things like that. So so on the left in the left column we have a lot of uh we have what two It happens a bunch. Like it happens two like yeah. consecutive pages of earlier it happens. Like it's a way of telling like two concurrent yeah. stories in a way. Yeah, and we in along the left column across these two six panel pages, we have Robin figuring out uh going from I don't know what to do then just also what the fuck happened to my ears <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's blood so yeah. much blood uh to to sort of manning up throwing these gauntlets on pulling the plant off of superman while 
while Superman blows away to stop Mongol from beating the living hell out of Diana. Um, and once he takes the flower off, it's, it's flower. Do we say flower? It's a, it's a plant. Power Rangers yeah. villain. Yeah, yeah. Once, uh, once he takes the putty off of Batman's chest, um, he has to figure out what to do with it, and he he hears the fight above him, and he felt so clever. He stuffs the plant in one of the gauntlets and then ties oh, it, it up in his, his own cape. cape. Oh, okay. He stuffs it in the cape in the gauntlets. Okay. Yeah. In the gauntlet in the cape. And then, uh, and then he's like, "Well, how am I supposed to get it up there?" But then. Well, that's he's trying to figure out how to get it up there, and then he realizes that's what he can do. Um, so he finally gets far enough above them that he uh, gets the drop on Mongol after a fantastic battle sequence, by the way. Uh, again, a lot of panels with dramatic prose and just allowing Dave Gibbons to silently show the, the, the violence of these two... People just completely unleashing on each and other the, in a zoo. In a zoo, They're fighting in. I guess what this is, is the zoo that Matt Damon bought. Oh, yes, okay, yeah, we yeah. bought a weird he alien bought, zoo. He bought yeah. a zoo and he gave it to Superman, and which he installed in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, yeah, it's the Fortress of Sola Zoo. <laughs> um, yeah. I like it. Yeah, so, I mean, so like butterflies are flying around, and there's like weird like. Triceratops looking it's like things. sentient puddles. Sentient, sentient puddles. puddles are one thing. Yep. Uh, when they get, they like, at the end of it, Superman decides, what do we think about Superman's decision to just chuck Mongol into, like, space? You know, I'm okay with it because I think he understands that Mongol can handle it. Or do you think that it's short-sighted believing that Mongol could always wrench free and... Well, I mean, is it... It seems kind of like capital punishment. Wait, what? I like, completely missed that. He chucks uh, Mongol into well, no, he, space? Where page is that? I'm trying to find it. He... Like, they get him and they're like, whoa, what are we going to do with him? Uh, have you ever noticed that black hole as you come in via the western spiral arm of the galaxy? It's quite large. I think I'll drop him into it. Oh, right. Um, was, is that a joke? Like, it just seems kind of like he's like... Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah, maybe it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy, basically, is what it kind of comes down to. Like, it, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna drop him in a black hole in space. Batman's teenage friend says, Hey, what are you going to do with this villain? And Superman, as a functioning adult, says, Ha ha, I'm going to murder him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will admit, when I read that line, I was a little... It made me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, like, oh no, Superman, come on. Well, then I wondered, like, if... Because you get that, like, if he isn't joking, if Superman is going to basically kill this guy, then but then you get his um, but then you learn what Mongol's ultimate wish is, which is killing everything. Right. So in a what like does Mongol's fantasy justify Superman's punishment if that is not a joke? Well, the thing about Superman that I have always loved, and maybe this is the idealist in me, is that he is good. Yeah. He is good through and through. He believes in truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah. You know, and, and, so, I mean, like, I obviously have not read a lot of Superman comics, but that's what he stands for. He's kind of this, like, Christ figure that's just yeah. 
forgives everyone and believes in the good and, and, and won't kill people. And so that's why, like, you, you see a really dark side of him when he's yeah. like, say, burn out. Oh, I'm going to drop him in a black hole. It's like, yeah. this isn't the Superman that I love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a joke. I mean, reading it out loud, it reads kind of like a joke. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it is a joke. I don't know. Diana's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> now that we've broken the ice at your birthday party. So, like, after he says it, she's just like, that's crazy. Yeah, let's Present. Present time. Dear God, presents, please. I do I'd like-, like to thank you all for coming to my party. I am going to murder someone yeah, exactly. later. Fantastic. Here is your first gift. Um, I love that Ella Moore uh, dedicates an entire page to a joke. Which is like like when the next last page is where Diana gives him this replica bottle city of Candor, and he gets this horrified look on his face, like, "Oh, that's." And then the next page is just him using his super speed to go take the bottle of Candor he already has, hide it, yeah, and then come back and be like, "Thanks, I've always wanted one." Yeah, that's um, because Diana gives him the replica that she had created by the Paradise Island Gemsmiths because the regular city of Candor was re-enlarged under yeah. her, which I think is like an incontinuity thing at that time. Yeah. Um, but it so turns he, out he already had one. Yeah, yeah. Unless it was the actual body, bottle city of Candor that had been re-shrunk. Yeah. Again. Um, Just a cute little joke. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's it's funny. I like it <laughs> a lot. I love that lot. he dedicates all page to it. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. that like Alan Moore has such a weird... Okay, like you said earlier, like you just think of Alan Moore as like this person who exists. Like he's Alan Moore. Well, I mean, I've read. Uh, I knew that he wrote Swamp Thing. Yeah. I've never read any of Swamp Which Thing. Which is great. I've I read Watchmen. I read From Hell. I read The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. So like that is the Alan Moore that I know. So it was. I don't know why. I mean, it. When you said like, oh, we're reading a Superman. Yeah. <laughs> that Alan Moore wrote. I was like. I, I would think when no, that's yeah, it's weird to think of like Alan Moore just like doing a work for hire thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's and also because like from what I know of Alan Moore, he is like a he comes across as a crazy eccentric reclusive wizard person who lives <laughs> in the woods and as far as I know, doesn't interact with humans and might like type on mushrooms that goes into the ether. Right, and he's made of snakes. Yeah, and he's, and made, he's of made of snakes. And, so and like bad dreams. It always fascinates me when I read comics and he nails this is gonna sound horrible that he nails like human condition and light moments and like jokes and realistic interactions and all that because in my mind he is a snake wizard person yeah yeah so the fact that he can nail all these human inner emotions whereas like most writers just like people like joss whedon like lives in la has like a wife like goes about his life like seems like a normal person i buy that he can write normal piece of normal person things yeah Alan Moore, I cannot imagine, like, going to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, His driver's license actually says Alan, uh, Alan Snake Wizard. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't photograph, so it's just, like, a black, fuzzy yeah. image. Yeah, yeah, And it's written on parchment. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it, it, it always shocks me. Like, this swamp thing, like, any time where I'm like, you know, like, he obviously, like, lives a real life somewhere because right. he's pulling this from somewhere. But I don't know. I mean, in the in the books of his that I've read, the light moments are few and far between. <laughs> yeah. True. So, like, I th- I wonder if, if is, like, yeah, DC was thing. like, can we 
Get a little, yeah. a light, small, small light moment, <laughs> small light moment. Well, at the beginning when they're going up to the Fortress of Solitude and they're like, we've got to talk to Superman about the, like, uh, snow bank. Because, like, right. he, he flies in here. He doesn't have to yeah. climb up this snow right. bank. Like, right. It's like the like that he has his little details. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I like, um, uh, there, there are fun little homages, too. For example, right after, um, Superman gets the... The Bottle City of Candor remake from Diana, they kiss, and then he says, Why don't we do that more often? And she says, I don't know, too predictable? And he says, You're probably right. I love that moment. Yeah, Yeah. I should mail it to DC Comics right now. Be like, Remember when Alan Moore said this thing you're doing right now is too predictable? Yeah. That was 30 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, Batman's gift got stepped on, but come on, Bruce, you're a millionaire. You can just, like, go out and get another thing for him. Yeah. Well, it was... They bred it, right? It was... Uh, Krypton Rose. Like, a rose called Krypton, right? Yeah, they were going to call it the Krypton. But, like... And he only made one. (laughs) Yeah, great job. Make a couple. Make a couple. It's kind of like you can't just make one cookie, you know? Yeah. Clearly, you have to make a bunch of cookies. You just show up with one cookie. Like, wait, come on. That... You, you bought this yeah. at a deli. Yeah. You, you bought this on the way here. It's, it's still in a shrink wrap. <laughs> Admit you can't it. just go and buy like one hot dog, like one frozen hot dog, like yeah. one pop tart. Like, come on. It's a Krypton hot dog. Oh, no, well, not, buying no. not buying it. I'm not buying it. And you know what? That's why his that's why his ultimate fantasy wasn't event planner. Right. Yeah. Because exactly. that is not Bruce's strong suit. I really would have loved to know what Wonder Woman's fantasy would have been. Uh, oh yeah. What do we? Well, think this was the Wonder Woman that was into bondage. No, I'm kidding. <coughs> what um, is the bond bondage? Uh, female listeners, please don't hit me for that. No. Well, the um the guy that created her, his name I can't remember. William Fleischer, Fleischer or something. Wait, uh, he himself, like he had multiple wives. Like he had a wife and a bunch of other like living. He had like, um, girlfriends. Like they were in a polyamorous relationship. He also invented the lie detector. Yeah, his uh, um, w- William Marston. Was it William Marston? I'm gonna say Loeb. Um, that's not right. But he um, he was Wonder Woman is based on his secretary, with whom he was sleeping, but his wife was aware of it. Yeah, because wow. they were um, in an open relationship. Or yeah, something in the late 30s. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so um, at some point, the documentary really went into it, but I can't. Uh, like, in every issue of Wonder Woman, she would always get, like, chained up. Always get chained up, but they would always break free. Like, it was in every episode, or every issue, just more uh, like... That's why she has, like, a lasso. She, like, ties men up. Yeah. And that was a really, really strong theme in the, like, first, Oh, you know, okay. So it's not so much that <clears throat> she is into bondage as she keeps getting chained up. Like Yeah, because the author was into bondage. Got gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. All right. I understand. Well, uh, I have a question. Yeah, William Moulton Marston. Okay. Ah. Um, the guy who played uh, Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I have a question. There's one moment in, in this that I did not understand. Maybe I just read it strangely. But in the fight with Superman and Mongol... Um, He's fighting him, they're fighting, and then I guess there's a statue of Jarrell and maybe his mom. Yeah. And in the middle of the fight, he sees it out of the 
corner of his eye and he goes, Krypton? And then Mongol gets the drop on him and punches him in the chin. And what is happening in that moment? What I believe is happening there is that he is, for a moment, flashing back to the happy place that he was just in earlier mm. in the story. Okay. He has He's being directly confronted with people wearing Kryptonian garb and yeah. the the sun sigil yeah. on their chests. And Makes for sense. half a second, he gets distracted because, again, the, the greatest weapon that Mongol, or like the greatest victory that Mongol has in this story is that he broke his heart. Right. And it's still pretty fresh to him. Okay. I buy that. That's what I believe is happening there. I buy that. Yeah. The oh. better question is, is, where did he get those? I mean, come on. Is there like the a statues? Madame Tussauds in the Fortress of Solitude? It grew I mean, come out on, Superman fans. It grew well, out of a crystal. Whatever. Well, Candor. Crystals. Candor mm, technically is a part of Krypton. It was an entire city that was launched off of the actual planet. So he has visited Candor, and it's entirely possible that he could have seen. Their garb and clothing. Oh, wait. So is Candor? Is Candor where Supergirl is from? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and because so Kara, that that's super. Oh, Kara, that's, um, that's Supergirl. Yeah, right? or Power Girl, as she is in the post crisis or whatever. Power Girl. Yeah, she becomes Power Girl. She's uh, a, she's an Earth Two character, pre crisis, and then there is also 52. a Supergirl. There's a Supergirl and a Power mm-hmm. Girl because. Mm-hmm. Because the, they're different realities. The Supergirl lineage is one of the more confusing things in all of comic books. <laughs> see, I've discovered all of this through Wikipedia. Yeah. Me, if you want to see me frustrated, have me look up any comic book character on Wikipedia. Because <laughs> uh, it just goes on and there are multiple uh-huh. universes. Hawkman and Supergirl, I would say, are the two most confusing characters, from my opinion. Cable yeah. and Psylocke are runners-up, but yeah. I don't think Cable and Psylocke are as confusing as Hawkman. Cable I read. Cable, I went cross-eyed reading that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is... Uh, I think most Wikipedia editors go cross-eyed trying yeah. to clean that up. Cables make sense. They're just. It's just that they're like 60 years worth of stories, yeah. and they're trying to compare... Com- you know... There's a lot of, like, with DC... There's, mm-hmm. DC more so than Marvel. Like, with DC... DC has the unfortunate, uh, I think, thing of their universe being created earlier. And, like, Marvel kind of started in the 40s, but then really didn't start till the 60s. Mm. Whereas DC had t- has, like, 20 years of shit prior to that. That is insane. Yes. That by the time they got to the 80s, they were like, all these weird, goofy stories about Lois Lane getting turned into a dog or, <laughs> like, Batman <laughs> getting fat, like... Do those count? <laughs> like, as audiences mature, it's like, well, there's all these weird... So that's why Crisis happened, where they were like, well, we gotta get rid of those things. Yeah. A yeah. lot of what... A lot of that, too, was because in the 50s... Like, post, post-World post War II, superheroes as a genre within comic books almost completely died off. Yeah. Everyone started going to westerns. Oh, uh, right. Westerns and horror. romance comics, and then horror in the fifties. Like, yeah, like yeah, that. and then uh, and then it wasn't until Showcase Number Four, which is considered the start of the Silver Age of comic books, where they reintroduced the Flash, but in his like, but Barry Allen as in that character red. in the red costume that everyone knows, <coughs> um, and not his weird saucer helmet. Thing. Yeah, that's uh, Jay Garrick. Yeah. That's a different Flash, but they kept him around. 
Anyways. Because they like keeping things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't throw anything away. Uh, DC is DC hordes. Yeah. Oof. They're hoarders. All right. They're character right. hoarders. So what, what sort of... Uh, what sort of wound up happening was the only real superheroes that survived were basically uh, Superman and Batman that are, like, well-known enough to people. Yeah. Right? Captain America was, like, canceled, fell into the ice, you know. Well, that was a re- they re- they was yeah. Like retroactive. Yeah, yeah. Um, All the Marvel, like, no Marvel characters survived the 50s. I mean, there were some Captain America stories, but not many. Like, it was yeah. pretty... And, like, the, Namor wasn't really around. Human Torch wasn't used anymore. Yeah. They, um, so it wasn't until The Flash came back, and that was late 50s, yeah, that was, that was like 59, right? Or was that, yeah, like 60 or 61? But, um, so during that time, they had all these ridiculous stories, these ridiculous, and even into the 60s, ridiculous Batman stories and, and Superman stories where they just, you know, did whatever because... Nobody like was paying attention baseball. to super to superhero comics. Or like right. Lois Lane was obsessed with marrying Superman, so every month was how can she marry Superman? And Superman hating her and like making her fat or making her black. Or... Oh yeah, it was like there. There's a lot of like strange like yeah. I'm annoyed yeah. that a woman's paying attention to yeah, me like, stories. <laughs> the the instructor of the of the mook the moke whatever was uh, an interview that she gave. Like she really is knowledgeable about those fifties Lois Lane stories, and they were talking about those. And it was, like, flat out, like, no, like, the author of those Lois Lane stories in the 50s was, like, a straight-up misogynist. Mm. Like, straight-up had severe issues with, like, his wife and, like, women, and just took Lois Lane, who, if you see, like, on Tumblr, the the gifts of the 1940s Superman serial cartoon of Lois Lane, like, grabbing a Tommy gun and just, like, shooting it at, like, a car of, like, bank robbers. Like, Lois Lane in the 40s totally had agency, was, like, awesome, strong character, like a journalist first. Total backslide in the 50s to just, when was Superman gonna love me? Like, it's insane. I have to imagine that was said more than once. Yeah. That that exact line. Yeah. When is Superman gonna love me? Yeah. Yeah. With tears dripping down onto her pillow. Yeah. Have you ever seen, um, it's a bird... It's a plane. It's Superman. The musical? Yeah. No. No. But there have been campaigns to bring it to Broadway. Is it not? Oh, is it not on Broadway? It's reopened somewhere. So it, it keeps saying... Um, I don't know if it's currently running right now, but they were... There was an out-of-town production of it in, like, Denver or something okay. like that. Yeah. And, um, and they had, like, Broadway performers in it, and it seems like they were going to try to bring it to Broadway, and it just didn't happen. So... It's not good. It should not be on Broadway. Oh, maybe it, maybe it got it? changed. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Dan uh, Dan Chamberlain has a bootleg of one of the original performances. Like you can get you can get like DVDs and torrents of it. Oh wow! Um, I think they they used to sell the DVD at uh, at Midtown and they probably uh, still do. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, there just there's certain things that should not be made in musicals <laughs> superhero stories and vampire stories like yeah. just sums it up about there yeah anything else anything else go for it. Legally yeah. fair game it. legally blonde go for it <laughs> the wedding singer why not yeah bull durham coming to broadway is it really yes oh bull durham so what did we all uh think of for the man who has everything final thoughts it's maybe my favorite Superman story. Yeah. I, lo- I loved it when I read it the first time. I, I love 
how I'm, I'm going to ask the question then answer it immediately. That's my <laughs> thing. Uh, I just love that it's a story. Like, it's this one issue. It feels complete. It feels rich. There's a lot of good moments in it. Uh, and I, I just really liked it when I read it. I liked it. Uh, I, I liked the interaction of Batman, Wonder Woman, Robin, and Superman. Uh, like I said, as as a as a little kid, a, you know, idolizing Superman growing up, it made me uncomfortable to see him so angry uh, <laughs> and dark. But uh, it was I, it was interesting to see that side of him to yeah. know that he has that rage, I guess, and and keeps it down. Uh, was interesting. So no, I I did enjoy it, and, and and it was interesting to read an Alan Moore Superman story. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I think that this is one of the tent poles for Superman for a reason. I think it's I think it's a fantastic distillation of what the character can do. Um and what happens when you don't just fight Superman with uh fists and violence. If you try to take a different approach, there are a character like Superman is really tough because there are almost no invulnerabilities, and especially at that point in his storytelling, there wasn't, you know, he was basically like a, a living god. Yeah. yeah. You know, and how do you, how do you approach that? So Alan Moore always, ha- always finds a way to take a clever approach to whatever he's writing. Yes. And that's and, exciting. And a multi-layered approach to what yeah. he's writing. Yes, very much so. And, and Dave Gibbons, I mean, here's a guy, here's a guy that just, like, Clean lines, I think, is a, a, a word, a, a phrase that was like built specifically for Dave Gibbons. His yeah. style is very easy to pick up and understand and read, and I think that's also why, like, something like Watchmen is so eminently re-readable yeah. and accessible to people who don't necessarily read comics, is because his style is is very natural and clean, and um, the violence has weight to it when you mm-hmm. see it, and um, and all of his characters have believable proportions and look real. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a really great story. And I encourage anyone who may have listened to this entire episode and have never checked this story out, definitely check it out. It's a, it's, it's a great Superman story. Yes. Agreed. Yay. Well, thank Yay. you so much for coming and reading this story. Thanks yeah, for yeah. having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now is the time on Sprockets where we plug. So uh, <laughs> anything you have going on, Lauren, feel free to plug away right now. Uh, what can I plug? Um, well, um, we're doing Sister Sex Wolf. We have shows every Friday. It seems a little self-serving to bring it up since all of us are members of Sister <laughs> Sex Wolf. Well, that's okay. Every Friday at the Queen Secret Improv Club. Oh, and I'm, I, I guess I should say I'm Lar Hunter on the Twitter. Yeah. Um, L-A-R Hunter. Get oh, it. I'm going to get so many new followers yeah. now. Yeah. There are so many trolls telling me how I don't know anything about comics. That's what we hope for. <laughs> That's it. it won't be trolls. It'll be us. Oh, so you'll right. know us. You'll know it's us. Like, Brad, stop putting me down on Twitter. I no, we were... you should know more about uh, Animal Man. No, like, I, won't. I uh, don't care about Animal Man. <laughs> oh, you should care about oh, Animal Man oh, at Brett White at Laura Hunter. <laughs> there are like six tweets because 140 characters just don't contain the amount. The rage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, great. Um, if you're interested in purchasing for the man who has everything, uh, you can visit mattandbrettlovecomics.com and buy it through the Amazon links in this episode's show notes. There's a really cool uh, printing that has all of Alan Moore's 
uh, DC Universe stories in it. DC Universe, the stories of Alan Moore. It's a really good hardcover, or a really good trade paperback. Uh, any purchase you make on Amazon through our online store gives money to us, so please buy literally everything you need to buy on Amazon. Buy it through our website. Hooray! And while you're at mattandbrettlovecomics.com, feel free to check out our back issues. For example, our live at 3 a.m. reaction to seeing the Avengers last year, of which Lauren was a part. Uh, or um, maybe uh, iFanboy's Paul Montgomery talking comics and film criticism with us. That was a great time, and that was before his ascension to yeah. the uh, Hydra-like head of iFanboy. <laughs> All three heads. Uh, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Thank you, Shatner. <laughs> so please tell us what you think about this or any other episode on our website or Facebook page at facebook.com slash theylovecomics. You can find links to all of our social media presence under the Who Loves Comics tab on our website, mattandbreadlovecomics.com. How do I always get this one? Please, if you fancy what you've heard here today, please rate and review the show in iTunes. It helps us out in ways we don't understand. Next time I'm going to like play Champagne Supernova. Yeah, I don't yeah. Oh, I was going to say that was like a Dickensian sort of character <laughs> yeah. please sir may I have some more comics <laughs> he always reads it like a chimbley sweep <laughs> uh, most importantly you guys are always our best spokesmen and the reason that we do this we thank you so much for listening and if you're at the store you're hanging out with friends talking comics think that they might like the show uh, let them know about us as always thanks to producer Benjamin Peter Ragib for Doing all the stuff. Yes, Ben Rahib, you are the man who has everything. And thank you again to Lauren Hunter, our lovely guest for the night. Yay! What up? <laughs> Bringing it back to Arsenio. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, again, guys. We will see you next week. And until then, this is Matt. And this is Brett. And we love comics. Think clean thoughts, chum. Yeah.